Hello, and welcome to the first audio edition of Columbia Insight, bringing independent environmental journalism to the communities of the Columbia River Basin. I'm Dak Collins, and I'll be your host as we dive into today's topic, overcrowding and congestion in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. It's summertime, which means it's peak recreation season here in the Northwest. And while there are countless places to explore this time of year, few are as popular or as accessible as the Columbia River Gorge, with its shaded mossy trails, fern-lined creeks, and iconic waterfalls. There's Joaquina, Bridal Vale, and Horsetail Falls. There's Angel's Rest, Shepherd's Dell, and many more of these lush sanctuaries, which provide visitors the opportunity to reconnect with the natural world without straying too far from the interstate. But as many of you might have already noticed, it's getting crowded out there. If you drive down the waterfall corridor on the historic Columbia River Highway on a summer weekend, you're likely to find bumper-to-bumper traffic and nowhere to park. And even if you are wise enough to carpool or take a shuttle to the trailhead, you'll discover that some of the trails and viewpoints themselves are congested and overrun with people. This certainly hampers the restorative experience that many of us are after. More importantly, though, this overcrowding has detrimental impacts on the landscape and the natural resources that make these places truly special. At a certain point, Recreation in the gorge becomes unsustainable, and all signs point to more traffic in the years to come. You know, for me, it's more asking this question of how do we continue to protect the natural, scenic, and cultural resources in the gorge while also adjusting to meet the demands of a growing population and the growing demand for um, opportunities to connect with nature. That's Lorelei Hawkness. She works for the U.S. Forest Service as the Recreation Program Manager for the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area, and she is one of a number of land managers currently grappling with the question of how can we strike a balance between loving and visiting these places and inadvertently abusing them. To get a better idea of what the growing demand for recreation in the gorge looks like, Hawkness points to the historic Columbia River Highway Congestion and Safety Improvement Plan that was released by the Oregon Department of Transportation just last month. The plan shows that traffic on the historic Columbia River Highway has increased by approximately 50% since 2013. And looking specifically at the 10-mile stretch of Interstate 84 that parallels the Waterfall Corridor and passes by Multnomah Falls, the plan shows that traffic has increased by approximately 6,000 additional vehicles per day over that same period of time. This growth in traffic is forecasted to continue, as the plan also points out that the population of the Portland-Vancouver metropolitan region is estimated to grow by one-third or 600,000 people within the next 20 years. Kevin Gorman is the Executive Director of Friends of the Columbia Gorge, a nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting the gorge and promoting responsible stewardship of its land, air, and waters. He's been in that role for over 20 years now and has witnessed his growth firsthand. Well, I am coming up on my 21st anniversary as the Director of Friends of the Columbia Gorge, so I've watched the gorge uh, over over two decades and kind of what's happened. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I felt like the, the, the recreation impacts have sort of incrementally gone up over time. And probably about three to four years ago, I felt like it, it sort of, if many people said this, that we sort of flipped the switch and, um, and several places just started to see a lot more effect in the impact. Um, you know, um, a handful of hiking spots, some mountain biking areas, et cetera. And then, and then in the last year or so, year or two, I mean, it, I think people have really felt it, even in terms of just basic traffic. 
This traffic is not limited to the Waterfall Corridor, and it exists in other locations throughout the gorge, including the Sandy River Delta, Starvation Creek, Beacon Rock, the Lower White Salmon, and the Catherine Creek Trail System, which, along with places like Dog Mountain and Rowena Plateau, can get overwhelmed with hikers during the spring wildflower display. Collectively, local residents of the gorge can lessen the human impact on these sensitive areas by simply avoiding them during peak season. But, as Gorman points out, doing so won't necessarily change the amount of tourist traffic coming from the nearby Portland-Vancouver metro area. There's many ways to bypass it, but um, it's still there, and it's still impactful, and I think the fact that um, we are seeing so much pressure uh, from the um, Portland-Vancouver area, and that pressure is really not going to subside, it is time to take more of a larger, holistic uh, approach to thinking about congestion. At the heart of this holistic approach is education. Both Gorman and Hawkness see educating visitors as one of the best ways to mitigate their impact on the environment. Keeping this goal in mind, the U.S. Forest Service is now collaborating with Friends of the Gorge, along with Oregon Parks and Recreation, the Washington Department of Transportation, and other stakeholder groups to develop programs that focus on educating the general public and promoting responsible recreation and leave-no-trace ethics. While we can do things to restrict overall numbers as they increase, we can also do a lot to change behavior, like through our Ready, Sick, Gorge campaign and a lot of the you know, various things we're doing with the Trailhead Ambassador Program. Like, How do we educate people that when they are there, it's not just a numbers game, it's also how they're you know, behaving while they're recreating. The Trailhead Ambassador Program that Hawkness mentions involves volunteers who are stationed at popular trailheads throughout the gorge. There they can engage with the public face-to-face and educate visitors on the best ways to enjoy trails safely and sustainably. Friends of the Gorge took the lead on this program when it was launched a few years back, and Gorman says it has expanded significantly since then. This is a program that um, it started three years ago at Dog Mountain, and then it scaled up and expanded, and I think because it's popular, and the agencies and the um, a number of folks really appreciate it have, uh, being around. There's efforts to figure out, well, how do we do this statewide? How do we do it at the coast and down in the Willamette Valley? So there's a lot of discussions going on about, you know, kind of taking this program and how do you how do you create modules that can go elsewhere and with other nonprofits. So so it's a, I think it's a it's a really good program and. Last year, we, we connected with 23,000 people uh, over over the, the spring, summer, and fall, and we're probably on track to do about that many this year. Our first approach is always to work on educating. Um, in, the, in the gorge, we have an interagency recreation team that has representatives from Oregon Parks and Rec, Washington State Parks, the Corps of Engineers, WashDOT, um, Oregon Department of Transportation. It's a really robust, large group that's looking at things like, I don't know, have you heard of the Ready, Set, Gorge campaign? You can Google it, but really it's just like an effort to come up with some consistent place-based messaging about how to recreate responsibly. And so Travel Oregon was a partner in this as well. They have some great websites. And basically it's allowed all of these different recreation providers in the scenic area to adopt similar um, social media messaging, similar stuff around, you know, when I say place-based, it's things like go east, um, go early, go late, you know, things to really address congestion and some of our key concerns here in the gorge.
Of course, it's impossible to talk about congestion in the gorge without going back to the Oregon Department of Transportation's congestion plan and the overwhelming number of cars that pass through the scenic area on busy summer weekends. So another part of the larger, more holistic approach to addressing congestion is improving and promoting public transit. I think if we figured out a way that there is uniform uh, parking structures, there was uniform transit routes, etc., it would do a much better job of figuring out how to help people flow through the gorge. I think last year there were about 30,000 people who used the, the gorge transit, the big bus that you see that goes from Portland to Rooster Rock to Multnomah Falls. And this year they've also included Cascade Locks and Hood River, so it's extending out further. Uh, there's a hope that it'll eventually go to the Dallas. So that's all very positive. However, it doesn't necessarily do anything to um, uh, limit congestion. I, I don't know if they have the numbers, but I, I don't think it's necessarily decreased the amount of time that the gate is closed at Multnomah Falls. Right. It, just, it just probably brings more people out, but it doesn't necessarily uh, relieve the traffic that is there. So that's, that's the thing with, um, if you're really trying to deal with congestion, then transit is most definitely a strategy, but there's also got to be, you know, transit is the carrot, but then what is the stick? Referring to some of the potential sticks or restrictions that could be put in place to limit the number of people in a given area, Gorman points to the success of the parking permit and shuttle system at Dog Mountain on the Washington side of the gorge. When it comes to the parking at Dog Mountain, um, they ended up striping the parking lot, and that limited the number of cars that could park there. Okay, so there, there's kind of the, the regulation that I was just talking about earlier. But then what they also did is they put in a shuttle from Skamania County uh, Fairgrounds. And so they said, okay, we only have a limited number of parking spots, and you have to apply online to get a permit for one of those parking spots. But if you don't want to park there, you can take the shuttle. And so that provided both the carrot and the stick, and it has been very successful. It, it really, I think in the last couple of years, Which brings up some important questions. Are there more severe restrictions that could be put in place in order to protect some of the more sensitive areas in the gorge? Taking that one step further, are there certain places that should just be off limits to people? Yeah, um, I think it's a good question. I think it's a discussion that um, we need to continue to have. How do we protect the resources? What's the right number? Like you're saying, are there places where we should not have trails? Are there hinders? And I think it's a discussion we'll probably want to have, but I don't think we're there yet. From Gorman's perspective, though, having these honest discussions is an important step toward protecting the gorge and understanding our place within it. Yeah, I think that I think that's definitely something that has to be thought of. And you know, I think you have. You know, the one thing with Dog Mountain is it is, um, it's in high, high demand for about three weeks out of the year. And so you have to think about, well, what do you do during that time period? And 
you know, another another spot right now uh, that is closed is Oneonta Gorge. And before the Eagle Creek fire happened, um, Oneonta Gorge was incredibly popular. And especially when it would get super hot, you would get hundreds of people back into a very tight, restricted area. And that's a place that uh, has a lot of ecological significance. Um, I suspect it's, it's doing um, a good bit of healing right now, which I think is really positive. It will eventually be reopened in some capacity, and this is really the call for the Forest Service, but we definitely would be of a mind that that should not just be opened, reopened the way it was opened before. That if Oneonta Gorge is reopened, hopefully there would be uh, some sort of limited access that, you know, I don't know the number of people a day that would be allowed to go back there, but it would just be limited in some sense. And uh, that takes more staff time and more money, but it's, um, I think it's a pretty important place that we just were starting to see uh, could be heavily impacted by just having too many people in there. And then I think there are other places in the gorge that um, uh, don't have, maybe they don't have official trails in there and they are very sensitive ecologically or important wildlife habitat. And, you know, those are ones that we think, yeah, maybe we should just uh, leave those uh, aside and, and let nature let nature have a, a bigger role there than, than uh, recreationists. I get why everybody loves to have the gorge as their gym or their playground, and, but it's it's far more than that. It'd be incredibly short-sighted for us just to uh, just to put put that on as the the primary um, the primary focus of attention. All of that being said, Gorman and Hawkness both realize that humans are more likely to protect something they love and care about. And while many would argue that there is such a thing as too much love, Hawkness says that portraying the issue in this light misses the underlying point, which is that the people and agencies that manage the National Scenic Area really want people to come to the gorge in order to experience, cherish, and fall in love with the place. I think it is just coming back to this um, loving the place to death. I'm kind of hopeful that we can shift the language around that um, and kind of honor the fact that we actually want to connect people to these landscapes, but... And shift that to how do we do it and how, you know, how do we either embrace new solutions, new technologies. Um, and we have this incredible group of stakeholders and landowners in the gorge that are working together on these issues. So I'm hopeful that we can get somewhere. And I, I think it's good to keep it in that positive light that people love coming to the gorge for a reason. And now we just all have to focus on how we're going to protect the gorge while we allow people to come. It's always a challenge when you think about how do you protect a place? Um, but then how do you open up and have um, people enjoy it? And, you know, that's always been one of the dilemmas, and it's certainly one of the dilemmas when you have a beautiful place that is 20 miles away from a major metropolitan area. So that's that's the struggle with the gorge. And, you know, one of the quotes that I always remember, it wasn't spoken about the gorge when it was said, but it really resonates with it. And it was a photographer in a TED talk who said, um, beauty and seduction are nature's tool for survival, 
because we protect what we fall in love with. So make a plan to get out there. Be smart about where you go and when, and allow the natural wonders of the gorge to seduce, inspire, and delight. Just take only memories, leave only footprints, and remember to tread lightly. Happy trails, everyone.